Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Western Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Meister, and with me is my constant co-host, Cobalt. The quarterfinals of the World Championships have finally wrapped up, and while things did go to expectations in some of those series, there were a few big surprises, including one where, for as much hype as I gave the series, it ended up being a complete slaughter, and it went for the team that I predicted against as well. So the quarterfinals did end up delivering in a lot of ways. What were your thoughts on it, Blue? It's been a quarterfinals, let me tell you. Like I, I think I was really happy watching these because, of course, I was a little sad about the G2 NRG upset. But otherwise, some of the upsets and the way the series played out where some of them shouldn't have been close, but they were, or they should have been stomps, but they weren't. Like there was a lot of surprises packed in here, as you said, and it was just a very, very exciting weekend of games. Yep. Overall, it was a pretty great weekend, but this first series that we will be diving into was not one of those series. It went pretty much as expected, albeit the first game of NRG versus Weibo was a bit of a surprise. NRG did put up a good showing in that first game, making it close, definitely making Weibo sweat. They had an early gold lead throughout the first 20 minutes of the game. Dokla was up 30 CS in the top lane at one point, but Light was up 30 CS on Ignar. And if you didn't watch the game, you would be saying, well, why'd you say Ignar? Ignar is the support. Lights the ADC for Weibo. Well, NRG ended up drafting Senna and Tom Kench that game, a bot lane duo that we have been seeing a little bit more of now, partly in thanks to NRG. They were the first team that drafted it uh, at Worlds, I believe. And FBI did do a good job on the Senna that game. But the one thing that I would like to talk about, and I think it is kind of a no-brainer. I've seen you know people like Dom and LS talk about it too, but I don't think it comes to that much brain power to end up figuring out this conclusion that even at some point, obviously Senna Tom Kench, you know, the that's going to be the farming Tom Kench, Senna's just going to be collecting the souls. You would probably like to see the Senna start farming at some point in the mid or later stages of the game and get rid of the support item. Because at the end of the game, not only was the, the item gap significant, both Senna and Tom Kench had three and a half items each so that that inc- that counts boots if you if you don't want to count boots as like a major core item they each had two and a half completed items whereas light again including boots had five and a half completed items almost full build uh, four and a half if you don't want to count the boots into it so he had almost doubled the amount of items you could say that senna and tom kench had for nrg and the cs discrepancy was ridiculous FBI only ended up with 68 CS by the end of the game. Ignar had about 200, I think it was a little bit lower than 200. And can you guess how much CS that Light had in that game, Blue? Probably a little more than that, if I had to guess. He had 408 CS at the end of that game. It was just about a 40-minute game. He had, again, just about, we'll round up a bit for the sake of it, double the farm of the entire NRG bot lane. So it is not a surprise when in those late game team fights that did come up, the Aphelios was just so far ahead. And the Senna does deal some good damage, you know, like obviously farming up the souls has a lot of range. But when you're only dealing with a two completed damage item Senna, and then your Tom Kench is obviously a tank, he's not really going to be dishing out a ton of damage. He's just there, you know, to play that lane combo, kind of neutralize the lane against, you know, uh, maybe a lane that might be a bit harder for them. And they can scale up well, but with the Senna not being able to farm and get uh, those items that she needs to still really pack a big punch, even bigger punch than she did already, Light was just solo carrying these fights. Now, granted, there was a lot of great peel coming out from his teammates, Shao, who was on Nico. Weiwei was on Rel, and then Chris was on Melio, so he definitely had the, the AoE CC and the disengage around him to help make sure that he did stay alive, and in that final fight in the base, Xiaohu and Crisp did a very good job of using their ultimates and all of their abilities that they could to keep Light alive through all of the damage that was coming through at quite a long range, surprisingly from the Orianna Shockwave and the Sun Ult. Light got chunked super low in that last fight in the base, but he was able to stay alive thanks to the help of his teammates, thanks to the Red Gun of Aphelios, having all of those items, and they were not able to take him down in that final fight in Weibo. 
were able to come back over the course of the game and, like I said, win it in about 40 minutes through a couple of those clutch fights where the team was able to rally around the super strong carry that was the Aphelios of late, and they're able to come back and take that game. But other than that, that was like the only really exciting part of that series. I mean, games two and three, Weibo really figured it out. They took care of business uh, in games two and three. They had early game advantages. In the second game, it still went to about a little over half an hour, but they closed it out pretty convincingly. And then that third game was a stomp. Uh, nothing really too uh, expressive about that one. So it was a 3-0 at the end of the day in that first series for Weibo. And again, not really a surprise coming out of it. That first game was pretty impressive from NRG, but that little bit of, you know, little bit of decision making that you can optimize what was already a strong duo bot with the Senna Tom, you can make it just that much better by making a decision like that, letting the Senna get the farm in the late game. Um, and that ended up being probably the big difference maker for NRG as well, because like I said, they had an early lead, they just weren't able to keep it going due to some of those fights where light was just way too strong. Yeah, I appreciate the call out you made there about how energy decided to play out that Senna Tom Kench bot lane, because similar to how you were mentioning is there there comes a point in time, and obviously it depends game to game, but the the reason that fasting Senna works is because she gets a higher drop rate of those souls when she isn't the one last hitting. So obviously you kind of ramp up through that and then you allow your Tom Kench, who does have a very good early game and up to about, I don't know, maybe one or two items, is a fairly strong lane champion. So you kind of get the best of both worlds by allowing the Tom Kench to farm and then the Senna to gather souls and gather gold through the support item. But kind of as you said, is that as the game progresses, CS is important. You don't get all that much gold out of those souls. So you want to start ramping that up getting those gold getting that gold getting those items and then be able to compete with light but the the one thing i did want to mention is that at about 25 or so minutes i think was the timestamp. this is about the point in time where that strategy starts to fall off and where fbi could have uh, sold this support item and started farming but energy did take a a relatively unfavorable fight there and then weibo went on to the baron but since he was in a fairly strong position still at that point, he almost solo, he had maybe one or two people around him, but FBI almost solo pushed Weibo off that Baron, and then Energy came in and took it. So it was a very clutch play from him to keep the game going in that sense. And I think that that is why, that play especially, was why I, at, at least at first, felt confident that Energy could be competitive. And then, of course, unfortunately, as the series played out, Weibo figured it out, and it was just kind of a, a roll from there. Yep, so not really too much else to say for that series. I don't really think, again, uh, a, a great tournament uh, for NRG, as we will give them a little bit of a send-off here, obviously being uh, one of the core uh, teams of this podcast, obviously being an, an NA representative making it into the quarterfinals. They, they had a phenomenal tournament. The fact that they were even able to make it this far when everyone was continuously doubting them every step of the way from the start of the LCS season, this team's not going to be able to you know win a title. They're not going to be able to, to even make the finals, most likely finishing 9-9 nine and nine in the summer split. But they continued to work. They continued to fight their way through and took down the, the big uh, bad uh, opponent that was c9 in the summer finals three games to one absolutely deserved that they had a bit of an easier road through worlds for sure but as i've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast that's not their fault they can only focus on what's in front of them they did a great job focusing on what was in front of them taking down each opponent that they had to including g2 who is no slouch despite being a western team and they find their way into the quarterfinals. They take it to Weibo in game one, putting up a really solid fight up until the end when eventually Weibo did close it out. And that that's probably about as much as you could have asked for for NRG. Yes, they probably could have won game one with some more optimizations of that stuff with the Senna probably playing some fights better in general here or there. Uh, not just to, to pin it all on FBI, because that's obviously not just how it worked, but that's one of the big things that you can, you know, like I said before, point out, and it doesn't take a lot of, you know, brain power to realize that that'd be a little thing that they could do to give them a bigger advantage. Um, but super strong showing from NRG. The fact that, again, getting the quarterfinals is huge. Playing a strong game one against Weibo ended up losing 3-0, but there was no pressure on them going into this series. I think they did the best that they could throughout the whole tournament. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them going into uh, next season. This is definitely a roster where... If you're, if you're still looking at it, you're still probably having that kind of 
it's not even recency bias anymore, but it's like the, the historical bias, like, oh, you know, these players, they're not, you know, they're still not that great in their roles, you know, like, uh, Dokla, I don't, I don't, not a bit, not a big Dokla guy, you know, Contracts has been around for a long time, but Contracts and Palafox really stepped it up over the course of playoffs and going into world, so you definitely have to respect them still going into next year, we'll see how the rest of the roster around them gets shaped up. Uh, you know, FBI, I believe his contract is expiring, so we'll see if he ends up coming back because he was that, that big upgrade that they changed from this roster before when it was uh, Luger and Poom in the bot lane. Bringing in FBI and Ignar was big, um, and they did a obviously a very great job to help them get here. That, that Both of those guys have a lot of experience playing in the LCS by now, so we'll see what ends up happening with this roster. If anything, obviously, they could just try to run it back. You know, a lot of cohesion clearly exists with these guys, the, the way that they play the game, they seem to do better in those mid and late stages, especially in the LCS where they can really play together as a team more. So I would be very much intrigued to see if they do run it back with this roster, but at this, on the other side of the same token, there definitely are more individual upgrades that you could probably get throughout a few of those positions. So I'm very excited to see how NRG is going to look going into the spring split of LCS next season. Yeah, the only call out I'm going to make uh, looking forward to the future is that for me, the looking at Energy's road to get to that championship and become the first seed and then make it to quarterfinals as the only Western representative at Worlds. The only thing I'm a little concerned about is that their trajectory looks very similar to what Rogues did just last year, where if you think back, this is a roster built with players that had sort of the experience, but we're never necessarily shining players all on their own, very similar to this NRG lineup. And just like NRG this year, Rogue won the the LEC very unexpectedly, ended up as the first representative at Worlds for the LEC, was the only Western team to make it to quarterfinals, but then they came and almost ran it back, just replacing Odoamne with Shigenda. They ran it back for 2023, and suddenly they were a very much middle-of-the-pack team. It felt to me like Rogue had a bit of a perfect storm in the way that the meta shaped out, and that they kind of peaked at the right time and, and ended up closing the year on a very good note. So I'm just going to be keeping a close eye on what energy looks like coming into the 2024 season, whether or not they fall into that same kind of sense where, was it a perfect storm, or is this a team that can continue to display strength and dominance yeah i think that's a really good point because i I do i would definitely agree that it was a perfect storm like i don't i don't think uh that'd be a too hotly contested point but on the same token as that like like obviously again contracts and palafox i've talked about them so much they definitely have uh shown ability to improve and they have improved their play over the course of this playoffs but now it'll come down to again seeing will it be a permanent return to form for these guys contracts mainly is palafox actually improving this much or is it really just like those guys played their best league of legends at this time and so did their teammates around them i'd say for guys like dokla fbi and ignar like yeah like they're they're all solid players in their in their role but they're not like superstar uh, carries in na and that obviously doesn't bode well internationally so i definitely would tend to say that it is a perfect storm but that was a very good comparison going back to that rogue team too cuz i don't remember that exact roster so maybe you can help me with that when i'm done with with this point but placing replacing odawamine with sagenda I didn't know much about Sagenda going into it, and when I looked at him, he definitely seemed more of like a carry-oriented top laner, whereas Odawamne, he does have some some decent carrying abilities to him, but he seems to be that more kind of well-rounded player that you can just rely on in the top lane, you don't have to put a lot of resources on him if you don't want to, and he'll just be fine up there, he'll, he'll, he'll do his thing, and that's really valuable on a team like Rogue, because I know they had Larson mid, was it... Was it comp at, at ADC still at that point? Yeah. At that point in time, they had comp ADC, Trimby, Malrang in the jungle, and then yeah. Larson in mid lane. So a lot of what you're saying is accurate, that uh, Odoamne was a weak side player. Comp was sort of the main carry I felt on that team. Larson's always just been a consistent player, not, not too flashy, but very good. And then replacing Odoamne with Shigenda, who seems to be more of a carry style player, I'd say. Obviously, he's not quite on that same level, but he does lean in favor of carry. So it was a big shakeup to the dynamic of the team. I will give you that. And is Sagenda still on Rogue now, like at the end of Summer Split? Yeah. Okay, so 
I mean, that'll be interesting too then to see uh, to see with Rogue because I, I I liked Rogue. I liked them when they had uh, like Finn and that more like OG roster, even when they sucked. Um, as as we've gone through already, I I love the 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 blue logo and the color scheme. The logo was really cool, so I, I was happy to you know like have that kind of an underdog team to root for in Europe. Uh, but we're not gonna get sidetracked on that anymore. We did that already last episode, so we're gonna avoid the the logo talk. We're gonna avoid the color talk, and we're gonna dive in now to the second quarterfinal. Uh, we're not gonna go in order. The way that we're going to do it now is we're going to go to the other series that was a 3-0, that series that I referenced in the opening of this episode, and it was LNG versus T1. Now, my expectations for this series going into it was that it was definitely going to be the closest series of quarters. Both of these teams, their play styles, with generally playing you know more timid early games and you know not being afraid to scale up into the late game, and, and play around, you know, those those big team fights at 30, 30 plus minutes. Um, obviously, very strong carries on both sides between Guma and Scout and Gala, and obviously Faker still uh, being at the at the top of his game, seemingly after coming back from his injury, and T1 looking rejuvenated as Faker came back from that injury as well. You have the summer split MVP scout for LNG manning the mid lane. Gala has a ton of pedigree to him as well. So you're thinking, oh my goodness, similar similar play styles. The, the competition level is very close. Second seed out of Korea was T1, and then LNG was the third seed out of the LPL. This is going to be an absolute banger of a series. I thought for sure it was going to go to five. And little do we know, not only is it a 3-0, but it is a 3-0 for T1. I, I went LNG 3-2, I don't remember what your predictions were, Blue, but I was not expecting a 3-0 this series, let alone a T1 3-0. Yeah, so my prediction in our last episode was I, I did root for T1. That's who I said was going to win, so I'm, I'm happy to see that that's what happened. But... I said 3-1. I didn't think it would go to five games because I had a feeling something weird would happen, but I was definitely not expecting a 3-0. Like they they broke LNG is the best way I can really say it was it was something else. Yeah, so it it, it was just a a complete overhaul and and different story than I, what I was expecting where I also thought it would be close, just maybe not as close as 3-2. And I think that a, a big part of why T1 spiked here is that it's been cool to see that the meta over time at Worlds has begun shifting, and especially in bot lane is I think the biggest reason why this sort of worked in T1's favor. Like we know that Karia is a big fan of ranged supports. He's tended to play those more often, like the enchanter types, or even he's a he's a very much the leading figure on picking AD carry champions in the support role. So things like Senna or Ash or things like that, which he did draft this this very series. Since those kinds of champions have been on the rise, it it was a perfect storm here for T1. And like they they come in in game one, full confidence, draft the Nila Senna. Nila is a champ of course that we mentioned before as something that's very rarely picked and kind of seems to be only in the right circumstances that it succeeds and t1 absolutely made it succeed then they bring various ash and stomp with that too in game two faker comes out with a silas pick which he seemed a little shaky on over the course of the year made that work really well so t1 just came full full power here i think i said that they'd had something cooking and and it seems i was right it was so fun to watch just the unfortunate thing is that LNG didn't seem to come on the day in form to be able to match what T1 was packing. Like the macro game seemed about on par, I'd say. They were able to make a few proactive plays or make exchanges on cross map turret sieges, things like that. So I'll give LNG credit for that part at least. But it was really the micro aspect that I think needed work for them. Like it was pretty clear who was coming in better just because of the fact that T1 made every single major team fight for the most part look very much their way a lot of them were almost clean aces if not clean aces and i think the main point of weakness i'd say i recognized was tarzan in that jungle role where he had a hard time making some of his plays land or some things were misexecuted he wasn't positioned all that great in in certain fights like it, it felt like 
while LNG was a little lower than normal, T1 was much, much higher than normal. So in the end, I think it was a great showing from T1's side. And it seems that as tournaments like this progress, Faker just comes out with more and more. So really fun to see, and I'm so hyped to see what T1 does next. Yeah, I mean, if you told me on the day, if you came from the future and, and told me that there was going to be a 3-0 and that T1 was going to win it, I, I already wouldn't have believed you. Like, no way. But as you, as you just went over, every single one of those games was a complete and utter stomp. And even in a macro sense, LNG were bad. They didn't get a single dragon the entire series. And not only that... But T1 had the Dragon Soul by the 25-minute mark at the very latest in each one of the games. They got 12 Dragons to zero in some of the earliest fashions you will ever see. And the other thing I want to build off of you is talking about the drafting, too. Because T1, especially in Game 1, I think, they did a very good job of utilizing Red Side to actually take advantage of the counter pick. They ended up picking the Senna in that first game but they picked it on r4 the fourth pick of red side so then lng responded with their picks and then they ended up going with instead of doing senna tom because they didn't pick their support slash ad carry yet they ended up going with neela to really put a wrench into that plan they put they put in a very interesting uh varus ash combination in game two and they actually were able to use red side to its advantage of having counter pick you know Blue side has a, a pretty good win rate at Worlds, as far as I remember, and it's obviously strong in the sense that you get that first pick, you get the best pick remaining out of all the bands. Generally, that's like a Zaya or a Kaisa or an Orianna or a Jarvan. But there are ways to be able to play around that blue side and that pick priority that they get if you are willing and able to take advantage of a counter pick and be flexible with your drafts. And T1 definitely was that in those series. And then to also just agree with you again, I mean, yeah, the, the team fights obviously all went in, in T1's favor. None of these games made it past the half an hour mark. It was complete domination, and especially for LNG, the, the, the big players that you're really expecting things out of, except for Gala. Gala was solid. He didn't really get a chance to do anything in these games. Um, but, but Tarzan was absolutely terrible. Scout was pretty terrible, and Hong, especially in that game one, was just terrible. Just so, some of the worst play that, that I can remember seeing in some of these uh, just most dominant games, and back to back to back, three in a row, just T1 absolutely taking LNG to town. That was absolutely horrid to watch because lng is a great team they've taken jdg the favorites in this tournament to five games in the summer finals of the lpl they have played tight series against them they lost to jdg two to one in worlds already this year those all three of those games were relative stomps but they were able to play that one game to force it to game three and they took care of business against jdg lng has been on the cusp of beating them numerous times you'd think if that they're able to compete with the favorites of the tournament that t1 is a strong team but you would probably favor lng over them just based off of how you've been watching them play against some of the best in the world and it was a pathetic performance the the top players that you're expecting the most out of did not come to perform except for gala like i said gala just really didn't get a chance to go and and gumayushi was great he, he was enabled in all of these fights everyone on t1 was just always seeming to be in the right spot doing the right thing it wasn't always like super flashy stuff but they were just finding fight win after fight win they were stealing the dragons in in game one to help secure the soul i believe owner stole a dragon uh to get the infernal soul for them and just, just every aspect of the game was T1. That that was nowhere near how I thought that this series was going to go. You know, if, if T1 did take a game or two, like I thought, like, yeah, maybe they could get a stomp in there. It's not like T1's a slouch, a slouch right? They're obviously a great team still. But as, as a partial LNG fan, it, it was super disappointing to see them go out in that way. And just seeing, just again, such strong players, the MVP of the LPL, Scout, uh, 
Tarzan just absolutely crumble, um, and it, it was very, very disappointing in the end. Obviously, for the Korean fans there, it was a hell of a time. They were very gracious uh, to LNG. They cheered for them when they came out, um, and they, they cheered for them when they lost, obviously being, uh, I should say, T1 being Korea's last hope. It, it could have been very easy, you know, to just, like, really put a lot of pressure on LNG and, you know, give them boo and boo them or whatever, you know, and not uh, treat them right. But the, the Korean fans did a good job with that as well. They were very supportive. So it ended up being that 3-0 stomp for T1, and that was the last thing I would have expected going into that one. Unexpected, but not unwelcome is the way I'd put it, because I'll talk more about this later, but I think this bodes well for what the tournament has in store next. Well, yeah, and I, I'd even say, like, obviously welcome in the sense that at least there is a, a Korean team in the in the Korean world's going to semifinals for LPL teams. I, I still wouldn't have been mad at it, right? Because at the end of the day, you're seeing the best teams in the world play. If it happens that they all ended up coming out of the LPL, then that's fine. You know, I'd, I'd rather see the best teams in the semifinals at that point rather than just having a Korean team uh, be in there just for the fact that there's a little bit of diversity. But there's no doubt that T1 absolutely earned it, even though LNG did just have probably their worst series uh, of their lives. Um, they, they still ended up uh, taking care of business, and they absolutely earned their, their way in there to keep it interesting uh, going into the, the semifinals now. Yeah, and I think that kind of gives us a good opportunity then to pivot into a series that also, I'd say, surprised, not necessarily in the result, but in the way that we got there. And that was, of course, the JDG versus KT series, the opposing side of that bracket with, with T1 and LNG. Obviously, the winner of these two series will come up against each other in semis. But I think that this is the series I'd say, and you probably, I think, agreed with me last, last episode, is that this was the matchup that was supposed to be a clean 3-0. That KT came into this looking shaky, not looking quite up to what they maybe showed earlier in the year. And meanwhile, their opponent is the best team in the in the tournament for a lot of people. Of course, the number one seed out of the LPL JDG. And I think that a big credit needs to go out to KT for how well they played in this game despite that loss. That like it, it should have been a complete disappointment here in, in how they come out. But I think stylistically, and this is kind of the crazy thing, is that they might have they might have done as well as they did because of the way that they play. Now, why is this important? Because in domestic league, the, the LCK there, against Gen G, I think that KT was the team that showed they were able to take it to them. And that was in a way that they kind of play very aggressive in the early game. They make things chaotic and take skirmishes and things like that. Whereas Gen G tends to play more slow, controlled early games and then win through better teamfight execution later on. And in a lot of ways, I'd say that JDG is similar to that. Maybe not quite because they're weak in the early game, but because they prefer the late game. So of course, in that game one that KT was able to take, it was a lot of that where they built up early leads. They made JDG take fights that they maybe didn't want to, but felt they had to. And they felt like they weren't making a single mistake that entire game. KT was just winning play after play, getting objective after objective. And by the, by the time the late game fights were coming around, JDG was far enough behind that no matter how well they played it, KT was able to roll them over. So it's, it's a lot of credit that I feel needs to go to KT. But of course, in the end, JDG took it because they just seemed to be on a whole other level. Yeah, I mean, KT did end up uh, putting up a, a very strong fight, especially in that first game, being able to take it, and it wasn't a, in a convincing fashion. Uh, it was it was very strong. They had a, a big uh, dragon fight at the 20-minute mark uh, that ended up being a 4 for 0 for them, where uh, aiming came up huge in that fight. He got a 4-man uh, Felios Blue Gun Ultimate off. Uh, onto a lot of the JDG members um, it ended up being a very strong fight there and that was able to propel them with already about a 2,000 gold lead at that time from a decent early game uh, they were able to take it from that point on and win that first game under half an hour 
and you're thinking, oh my goodness, right? Like, am I am I gonna get uh, the E word for KT? Um, but at the end of the day, JDG, as you said, just on a completely a different level uh, in those second and third games, just complete dominations in both of those games. That's kind of what you were expecting, I would say, going into this series. I'd say maybe, you know, KT probably could have put up a little bit more of a fight if you're just, again, like thinking of it from um, before the series started. But games two and three were kind of what you would have envisioned. Uh, not too big of uh, super strong early leads from JDG in those games, but they were able to really pick it up uh, in the in the like kind of late stages of the early game into the mid game and found a lot of big advantages, found the team fight wins that they needed. And then that one play, let me see if I can... Yeah, so in, in Game 4, there was that crazy play um, from, from Ruler and Knight that was able to get JDG back in that game and end up uh, really uh, overthrowing KT there. Because KT had a super strong Game 4 in the early game. They were up 3,500 gold at 20 minutes. Um, they were just finding you know some pretty solid picks early. Um, they got, uh, looks like an early dragon, but JDG were able to respond. But that Baron play right after the dragon was huge because there was this really weird, like, super long chase in the top lane in that build-up to that Baron play where it started with kind of Cuz and Kanavi having this little skirmish that ended up evolving into both teams really starting to try and move up there and collapse. It ended up being actually 369 who died in that exchange, as like I said, everyone was kind of coming up towards it. Then with the man advantage, KT ends up starting Barum, and it ends up being that it's only really Knight and Ruler that are at a healthy enough amount of HP to be able to contest. And what happens next is just absolute insanity. So BDD is not hitting the bear, and he ends up kind of peeling off of it, probably, I, I would guess, looking to see if he can find Ruler and Knight and try to zone them off of it. But Ruler has the Empowered E by that point in the game. It's about 24 minutes into the game. He has the Empowered E, so he goes invisible and then ends up spotting BDD basically right next to him. And then with Knight over the wall, he gets the Shockwave off on his Orianna. And they just absolutely delete BDD. And then Lahens dies basically to the Shockwave and just a couple auto attacks uh, from Kaisa as well right after it uh, with the Shockwave. Those two people are immediately deleted. Aiming ends up uh, walking over at that point as obviously they can't do the Baron anymore. So they're going to try to see if they can kill Ruler who is the only one that they could really hit at that point. But Aiming doesn't have enough damage and he ends up putting his ult in, in like a, a really weird spot like like first i don't even think he really had to use it obviously with shockwave being down and the kaisa used q to take down bdd there was nothing really for him to ult i guess he was probably just thinking you know, kaisa probably can still burst me you know in, in in such a short range of encounter but he ults nothing and then the ult was also in a bad spot based off of where he was moving afterwards he was kind of moving back towards uh mid lane through the the top portion of the uh the river there where those the those the the top lane mid bush and there's the walls on either side of it he was trying to go through that little corridor there to get back towards his towers but the ult was terrible so he couldn't root anyone from it and he dies and then uh keen was still the one closest to the baron at that point but he ended up running top lane ruler was able to run him down as well it ended up being a four for one uh, for JDG by the end of that entire chase, obviously with 369 dying at the very initial start of that all. And then they weren't, uh, they were able to get the Baron as well off of it, excuse me. So just an absolute swing play there that took any sort of momentum that KT was building up. And they had a lot of it, a huge gold lead. They were playing a team comp that definitely wanted uh, an earlier gold lead, having, um, you know, Jack, Syndra, and Zaya. You can really kind of start getting into your power spikes a lot quicker with a champion like Syndra who can hopefully blow up maybe you know an Orianna or a Kaisa uh, with uh, enough uh, gold and enough items to be able to do that but once that play happened I mean you, you just felt it all start going GDG's way after that the crowd you know was obviously feeling a little bit uh, uh, toned down from it and then that's just how it was going from the rest of the game at that point was JDG just in control. They ended it pretty efficiently after that. And it was a really sad way for KT to go because, again, winning the first game, the expectations for the series have already shifted. 
And then just for JDG to come back and win games two and three as dominating as they did, you think, okay, well, this is what we expected, you know, and any sort of good feelings that that KT built up from that first win are are completely gone. It's like, okay, we're back in our comfort zone now. We know what's going to be coming. And then KT almost do it again. They almost force it to five, a super strong early game. And then such just, I want to say a miracle play. But it's like, that's just how good sometimes, like, these players are. Like, Ruler and Knight being able to pair up to do something like that is absolutely incredible. I don't know if BDD had to go off the Baron and look for them. I don't know if Lehens had to go with him. So you can still, you know, point some criticism towards KT's way. Let them try to come into you, right? You know, it's Oriana and Kaisa. They're squishier carries. Oriana has a shield, but who cares about a shield? You know, they're, they're, they're lower health targets, don't have a lot of resistances. You're there as four versus two. Let them be the ones to try to come into you. Yeah, they can kind of poke you down, but the, the Oriana Q isn't going to be dealing a ton if she's over the wall where she was. You just stay on the other side of the Baron pit so the Q can't really reach you. And then the only thing you really have to worry about is a Kaisa W, which will will deal a fair bit of damage, but it's, it's a 4v2 effectively, you know, if you want to say that. But with Knight over the wall, he's not in a position to, like I said, deal a lot of damage if you position properly. And then you have, you have to force him to get in closer and come towards you. So there is a little bit of criticism on KT still, don't get me wrong, but still being able to take advantage of those mistakes, as I've talked about before in certain situations, being in a 2v4 and finding a way to win it is just how good Ruler is, especially as an AD carry and especially on Kaisa, but Knight as well playing super strong. He's still, you know, obviously up there with the best in his role. And, and that was all the momentum and gold that JDG needed to find their way back into the game. And like I said, from that point on, it was going in GDG's favor. And a a very sad way for KT to go out. They had it in their hands. They had Game 5. They had Silver Scrapes ready to go. But it was a phenomenal game from Ruler. A phenomenal series from Ruler and most of JDG as well, obviously. Taking down KT three games to one. And very sad just because KT did look like they had a chance when no one gave them one. And they just quite weren't quite able to take full advantage of it. Yeah, and I appreciate you calling out that play because that that was a great demonstration of why JDG can be clutch. But one play that I wanted to highlight as well, in addition to that, is kind of a perfect example of why JDG feels so suffocating a lot of the time. And that was the last fight of Game Three, where it starts off Knight and three six nine get a pick on Keen up in the top lane. And then before the spectator cam even has the time to move towards the mid lane where another fight is brewing, Knight is already channeling his TP. And as JDG is winning that 3v4, by the way, down a man, aiming starts kind of going crazy. And it starts to look like, although Knight is coming in, that it might go even. And then KT will be able to come back maybe in the next fight and, and do some more. But just when you think it is an even fight, in comes in the full health 369 Aatrox from behind that I personally had forgotten about at that point. I didn't think he'd be joining in. He pops his ult and wipes the remaining members of KT. Like so many of their fights as I've been watching Worlds, I feel have been going this way. They have a seemingly close fight, but it's only a 4v5, maybe even a 3v5. They're down people. And then that fifth member or fourth and fifth member of the team will come in, they're full health, they have all their abilities, and they just crush whatever hope you have. So it it's just kind of boggles my mind, honestly, how well JDG seems to execute these fights. Sure, they had a gold lead at that point, but I don't think it was big enough to warrant them doing quite as well as they did down people. So they they're able to pull things off like that then comes in that extra member and and the game just looks hopeless it's it's a wonder to see how jdg is playing some of these games and with that now we will be going into the final series of the quarterfinals that was the second series actually played and it was a series going into it that i did think had plenty of potential to it gen g versus blg another korea versus china matchup and going into this, I don't remember exactly what I predicted. It was definitely Gen G that I, I predicted. I, might, I probably would have went three one. I think if if uh, you'd listen back to the last episode, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident it would have been a three one because BLG was no slouch. They had to go to 
uh, all five of their game slash series to get here, but they played some decent League of Legends enough, and they have strong carries like Bin, like Elk, and Yagao still a threat in the mid lane, that you can't just scoff at them, but Gen.G 3-0'd their way into the quarterfinals, they looked pretty strong doing it, obviously won the LCK as well, so I think it was not necessarily a no-brainer to side with them, because uh, BLG did beat them at MSI, I believe it was 3-0 at the MSI this year. So it wasn't a no-brainer to go Gen.G, but I was still going to favor them based off of their seeding, based off of how quickly they were able to get into the quarterfinals. Um, and I thought for sure this would definitely have the potential to be a good series. I thought LNG T1 would end up being better. But my goodness, this one went the distance. It went a full five with actually BLG winning the first two games of the series. And it ended up being two pretty strong games. Uh, in the first game for BLG, they were able to, to basically win each lane. They lost some kills a little bit in the early game. Peanut had a pretty good early game in that first one for Gen.G. But they weren't able to actually find clean fights and take advantage of their, their carry champions to scale up and get to a point where they're able to take strong 5v5s and, and get into that kind of end game that they really wanted. They picked Jax, Rel, Azir, Aphelios, and Tom, whereas BLG went with a more early game-centric team of Aatrox, Jarvan, and Orianna, which do scale pretty well, but Kalista and Renata in the bot lane. Kalista, obviously a very, very strong laner, early game champion, wants to snowball as much as she can. Aatrox is kind of in that same vein as well and uh blg excuse me were actually able to do that they found the early game gold leads they found early game objectives as well they're up a, a one and a half thousand gold at 14 they had two dragons by that point they had the early rift herald as well they ended up being up three and a half thousand gold at the 20 minute mark and played a just overall like i said really clean strong game of league of legends never giving gen g a chance to really play their comp and then you go into that second game, and it's an absolute stomp, and the draft in that game was just so strong for BLG. I don't know how Gen.G let Billy Billy get Rumble, Jarvan, and Orianna, and I believe it was their first three picks of the draft, too. Absolutely ridiculous. That combo was way too strong. They rounded it out with Zaya, Renata, and the game went as you would expect. Probably even it was worse than what you expect. BLG was up 5,000 gold. At the 14-minute mark, they were up 9,000 gold at 20, and that was a stomp and a half. I mean, that was just brutal to watch. And again, giving over Rumble, Jarvan, Orianna, just not only are they just all individually strong champions now, but obviously the combo with the Jarvan into the Rumble Cataclysm and the, the Shockwave can be deadly if that comes through. And it even helps set up a Renata ultimate as well. If you get some people locked in there, them being stuck in that tight little Cataclysm does benefit Renata as well. So BLG being able to come out to an early 2-0 lead was again, definitely not the thing that you would have been expecting if you even thought BLG would win the series you probably weren't expecting them to go up 2-0 yeah I mean I game two as well I was the one that I had my eye on as just a total disaster not only in draft but even in the way that they were playing like it starts off where Genji engages bot loses then Genji initiates a fight top loses they engage on a dragon as BLG already took it it gets turned. They lose it. Like it, every single thing that Genji seemed to attempt just did not go in their favor. Later, Chovy tries a Shurima shuffle, but Yagao just casually keeps walking, completely unfazed. And then the funniest moment for me, and I cannot remember exactly when this happened, but I know at one point Doran was playing the Aatrox, and he just inexplicably flashes over a wall, has no vision, no team around him, and has to ult to get out because there's a couple of BLG members there. Like, I don't know if BLG was mind-controlling Genji or what was going on, but it was just disgusting, the level of play that they were showing in that game too. And then this sets us up for obviously now Genji backs against the wall. And this was, like I said, this was the second game of the quarterfinals. This was the first time that the Korean teams were playing and obviously backs against the wall the number one C out of Korea playing in Korea they they they, they cannot possibly go out three to zero against Billy Billy again especially after losing that way 
in MSI earlier this year. And you look at the drafting of both sides and you're thinking, okay, well, we're seeing a game. And this kind of ends up being a theme over the course of this series that I'll get to at the very end where Gen.G plays an early game comp. They have uh, Aatrox, Yone, Kaisa. They're going to be really trying to just dive in, get onto BLG and close that distance. Whereas BLG drafted Jarvan, Oriana, Caitlyn, and Braum in the bot lane. Very interesting to see Braum come in, but it kind of plays into that they have a lot of range, a lot of disengage, and they're going to be trying to deal with that dive and scale up, let Caitlyn become that late game monster, let Oriana get up and get, you know, three, four, five items into her and just be able to, you know, bully the short range Kaisa, the short range Yone, even though obviously he does have plenty of mobility and ways to get in there and close a gap. And you actually see BLG being the team getting the early game advantage. They're up a thousand and a half gold at 14 minutes, they're up two and a half thousand gold at 20 minutes. But there are two pivotal fights that go on around the 23 minute mark and the 28 minute mark where Genji are able to come up with clutch wins uh, post 20 minutes around the dragon where it's just really really smart and just exciting play to watch uh, they end up getting a baron off of that second dragon fight and then they actually are able to come back in that game despite the early game deficit. The game goes on for about 46 minutes, and it was a huge comeback from Gen G. Bin actually had a, a rough game. He, he's usually pretty solid for for BLG, but you're, you're just watching him uh, play this game, and he didn't really get to have a lot of impact on the Renekton. He actually got caught out very late around the 42-minute mark where he just got uh, face-checked a bush, he got sandwiched by Genji, he dies on the spot, and that gave Genji the final Baron that they needed to push and end. Pays and Doran went crazy this game on the Aatrox, uh, and Kaisa, they really were able to make a lot of impact in these fights, some big knockups from Aatrox, and obviously the sustained healing in the fights really gives him a lot of longevity. Pays was able to find good spots to get into fights and deal a lot of damage, and they absolutely needed that because, again, that would have been 3-0, that would have been over, they're playing more so of a team comp where you kind of want to snowball and get ahead early on so you can really abuse that strong team fighting, and they fell behind early, but being able to somehow find their way back in that game was absolutely huge and pivotal as they end up winning game four in another uh, very exciting game not quite as long as the third game and genji did have a slight early game lead but the goal was kind of evened up by the mid game and then again very strong team fight and coming out from delight especially who was playing rel in game four found some very clean engages very strong engages to set up uh, pays on the Callista this game. Doran, again, on, on Rumble this time. His equalizers were layered beautifully with all that engage that Gen.G had. Again, into a team comp from BLG where they have Nico, Jarvan, Ash, and Tom Kench. They're, they're clearly trying to, you know, stay back, control parts of the map, and not get involved too deep into these fights. And Tom Kench, uh, played by On, did actually have uh, some good ultimates to help uh, Elk, excuse me, get out of the, maybe it was a engage, or maybe it was dodging uh, the Vi ultimate, or preventing him from getting knocked up by a Callista Fate sealed with Rel onto it. He had some good initial ones, but there was just too much coming at Elk being so immobile on the Ash. There was not quite enough peel to be able to help him out, and in this game, I think Yagao really dropped the ball. His Nico ultimates basically did nothing in most of these fights. He was maybe ulting one person, maybe two at the most in these fights, and that's not enough when you're dealing with so much, you know, coming at you, Delight ulting in and Wing in on the Rel, the re-engage from the Callista, being able to have him get another knockup, and then the Vi has the single target, then the Rumble equalizer laid over on top of it. Genji found so many good fights in that game that it was another very strong showing by those three players, Doran, Pays and Delight, like I said, had a super strong game here. And then that set us up for a very, very thrilling Game 5. Yeah, and that Game 5 was one that delivered in a lot of ways that I, I was hoping to kind of see in this series, where on paper, Genji should be the favorite, but BLG came with guns blazing and ended up taking the game 
through a lot a series of kind of very important fights that I'd say were were the reason they ended up closing it. And the one I wanted to really call out is kind of Jun the the jungler here. Like first of all, he played J4 in all five games and offered great engages in all of them. So huge shoutouts to him. But in that game five specifically, there was a big engage he made just before a Drake to delete Doran and deny his mega because he was Nar, and he was trying to build that bar up so he could go in and and potentially look for an ult. But Jun completely denies that, puts him into stopwatch with almost no health. They kill him. And then Jun goes right in and knocks up Chovy, and and then they kill off Chovy as well. So that was a big fight. And then the last fight of the game as well was one where Pays found a great Kaisa ultimate, killed off Elk as the fight was starting, but then Jun came in, Flash gets the knockup, and eliminates uh, Pays there as well to to turn that fight in BLG's favor and allows them to close. So a lot of great execution I'd say in that game. Genji almost made the reverse sweep possible, but BLG slammed the door in their face. And it's BLG, I think, to a lot of people's surprise that is taking this series and will be heading into the semifinals. Definitely a surprise, at least in my books, for sure. And I do want to uh, give one, like, a little bit of stats for Shun that series. He finished 23, 5, and 32 across those five games. I didn't even realize all five of those games were on Jarvan, so uh, thank you for putting that out as well. Very very strong performance on Jarvan in each one of those games, basically. Again, 23 kills, 5 deaths, 32 assists. He helped to make a lot happen and was definitely a pivotal reason as for why BLG were able to sneak out that series three games to two and, and really you know get Korean fans worried. Again, that was the first series where a Korean team played. Then it got followed up by that JDG-KT series where KT was able to give a little bit of hope, but JDG won expectedly and shut the door. And then at least T1 was able to show up for the Korean fans for the region and give a, a thorough stomping of LNG who absolutely deserved it in that final quarterfinals matchup. And you'll have to excuse me, because to close it off here, I'm going to be a little bit facetious. But the Gen G narrative shall forever reign supreme, it seems. That sure, they might be better than T1 regionally and better than so many of the teams they have to go up against in Korea. But it seems that every single international tournament, while T1 comes up and spikes and shows something that we didn't see before, Gen G will always be fated to crash and burn. And I, I need to make a note at this point for myself next year. I've been thinking this every year, but I've never committed. The choke is just guaranteed for this team, it seems. And if you catch me giving Genji any kind of credit in knockouts next year, please remind me to stop being dumb because it'll happen again and again and again. They do well in the groups or Swiss stage. And then in the knockouts, whether it's the quarterfinals or semifinals, it kind of changes year to year. They always, always seem to disappoint and, and get knocked out when they really shouldn't so note to self for next year it's gonna happen again but they look so good man i mean how, how can you doubt them they, they 3 0 their way in, into the the quarterfinals come on genji's good this year yeah but then they also got 3 0 by blg at msi and almost got 3 0 here so you know it is what it is yeah Gen genji's just really has been one of those teams uh for yeah the the, the form just really does not seem to peak for them at the most opportune times going into these international tournaments. But hey, maybe next year will be the year. No, but with that being <laughs> but with that being said, we will end up uh, closing our quarterfinals discussion and we will do a, a look into the semifinal matchups. The first one being on Saturday, November 11th here in the States, 2 a.m. Central Time, Weibo Gaming versus Billy Billy Gaming. Uh, both seeds out of China, the fourth seed being Weibo, the second seed being BLG. Um, and I think this should be a, a relatively fun series. Obviously, these teams have played their, their fair share against each other. A lot of people, I feel like, might actually be enticed uh, to go Weibo's way, because I think Weibo have had some success against JDG, if I remember correctly, at some points. Obviously, there's a lot of a fan uh, hype up for players like the shy i think the shy against bin is going to be such a fun matchup because i think while bin is definitely better than the shy the 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 shy narratives are going to be going crazy i uh, wanting to see him get back uh into the world finals as well i think in terms of of predicting this series 
Uh, I do feel comfortable saying Billy Billy will win, and I'm going to go 3-1. I think that Weibo is still good enough. The, you, you can't doubt players like Xiaohu and Light to, to still step it up and potentially deliver these strong performances to get them going into the finals. And I think people would probably be more excited if Weibo made it in than BLG, but I think BLG, when you're looking at them, they are probably, probably are just a better team. And again, Weibo has had such an easy road of getting here. I don't think Weibo has had to beat an Eastern team to get into this point into the, the semifinals. So I'm going to take that as a sign that, you know what, they're just maybe not quite up to snuff yet. They've played a few Eastern teams, but they haven't won against any of them. Billy Billy's played some tough series. They arguably took out the second favorites at the time of Gen G, as we just talked about, three games to two. Very tight series. And maybe I'll be making mistakes. I was saying the same thing with LNG T1, where it's like, man, if you look how good LNG was playing against JDG, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but maybe you could use this as a sign to like say that LNG would sneak out that series. I'm gonna kind of end up using that same logic here, where you see BLG take a tight series, albeit against Gen G five games. But if you saw them play that like that against Gen G, you're gonna hopefully like their odds against a team like Weibo, who is. You would probably say worse than Gen G. They're definitely more volatile than Gen G uh, in terms of just like their, their average way of playing the game. But I'm going to give the edge to BLG three games to one in this one. Yeah, so you're absolutely right on the call out of them playing only Western teams. Uh, like while NRG only won against Western teams, they did take a couple losses to uh, Eastern teams. Meanwhile, Weibo has not even played an Eastern team yet coming into the semifinal. So, like, if you remember, their only loss so far was to G2 there. So, it, I think it really doesn't help their case that, uh, on the one hand, BLG proved to be better than them domestically in the LPL. But on the other hand, I don't think that we've really seen Weibo be pushed to the limits just yet. Obviously, they lost that game against G2, but... For a lot of reasons, that wasn't the best reflection of what they can do, I'd say. So coming into this tournament, I think that you and I both would agree that there there's probably a big step down between those LPL 1 to 3, however you rank them amongst each other, and then coming down to this fourth seed of Weibo. So I think I'm, I'm as well pretty confident to say that BLG should win. Uh, they obviously took down Genji, the LCK 1 seed, and whatever you have to say about that series, that is impressive. So I, I don't think there needs to be too much analysis here. There's just a lot of facts pointing to the fact that BLG should be better. And while Weibo's volatility and the clutch potential from players like the Shy or like Zhao, who should be enough to maybe secure them one game, uh, I think in the end, it, it I'll agree with you that it will be BLG taking the series three to one. And I, I think I'd be kind of surprised to see it go any other way, to be honest. And then now we have what I think probably it's safe to say now is going to be the most anticipated matchup of the world championships, even including the finals matchup that we don't even know already, with T1 facing off against JDG in that second semifinals matchup on Sunday, same time as on Saturday for the series to start. And... Okay, so my thought process was that even when I was thinking about, you know, LNG versus JDG or T1 versus JDG, um, when, I, when, I, when at first I thought LNG would, would beat T1, was obviously I'm still going to favor JDG, but maybe I'll probably I'll probably put it to 5 just to have some a little bit of fun with it. Obviously, LNG did take them to 5 at some point. They've taken them to, to, to a full best of 3 going the distance at Worlds this year, so I would have went LNG with 5. I think with T1... Playing uh, JDG, if I thought that they did beat LNG before, again, the series started, I probably would have went JDG 3-0, just because I think that JDG is a lot better than T1, and I, wasn't, I wouldn't have been expecting T1 to make it through in the first place, so I thought it, even if they do make it through... Um, you know, it probably would be a very close series, and I would just take, you know, JDG riding as strong as they've looked to blow them out. But, and again, part of it was just LNG playing terrible League of Legends, but T1 absolutely demolished them. So now I don't know really how I want to predict the series. I still am going to predict JDG, I think, in the end of it, just because of how dominant they've been, obviously, going for the Golden Road. I, th I think you would be still a little bit silly to doubt uh, JDG in terms of winning, but with, with T1 looking as good as they did, 
I mean, there, there, there could be a world where they win. There could be a world where, at the very least, this goes to five and T1 plays a strong series. I, I, I don't feel super comfortable, especially nowhere near as much as I thought going into this series when I thought it was going to be LNG. So, I think in the end, I'm going to go with JDG winning three games to one. But this could easily be a series now where if you tell me T1 wins, I would I would believe you. If you tell me this series goes goes to five with either team winning, I will believe you. It still if you tell me it's a 3-0 for T1, I'm not gonna believe you for this one. But who knows, right? I I, I would have said the exact same thing for the LNG series. Um, I just think JDG is obviously on a different level. They haven't lost to LNG anytime recently, um, despite them being played. Con- played hard by them so it will be jdg for me like i said i'm going to go three one but you can convince me a lot of different outcomes for this series now yeah and i i just cannot say how excited i am that we're going to get this matchup here like it's it's so so i'm so happy to see that this is the one that we're going to get like of course you said that you would have been excited to see uh, lng jdg and i would definitely agree with you there but for a lot of reasons, I think this is the one that I would have been more excited and definitely am more excited now that we saw what played out in the quarters. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the history of these teams, or not even just these, but teams in general, and I like to build narratives. So I'm going to do a lot of narrative building here. Like, starting off, you may recall that just last year, at around this point in time, JDG were favorites to win Worlds of 2022 just like they are this year. So, of course, this time around, they have that Golden Road attempt that they're attempting to, to be the first team in history to achieve. But otherwise, in a lot of ways, the, the road that JDG took to get here is the same. They're a very strong team that people are expecting to win, and, and that's just kind of how we're going into this next series. But you may also recall that it was, in fact, T1 with these very same five players that met them in the semifinals last year and we're able to pull off the upset of three to one. And I'd say it was a pretty convincing one at that. It wasn't, it was close, but in a lot of ways, T1 did come out looking better. So of course, I'm not oblivious to the fact that JDG came into this year and they upgraded their roster big time. It was that mid lane and 80 carry positions that they brought in Knight and Ruler, who I think have been their two standouts coincidentally. Uh, even in that last series that we saw, it was these two players that were able to pull off that clutch play in game four and start kind of paving the way for JDG to t- close out that series. But what I also find noteworthy, T1 has cleanly disposed of BLG 2-0 in the Swiss stage, and now LNG 3-0, hardly breaking a sweat in either of those two series. And these are two teams that if you came into the beginning of the tournament and told me that it was the top three LPL that were going to occupy the top three places, I wouldn't argue with you. I think that was a lot of ways kind of accepted by the community. And LNG, the team that they just dispatched, was touted as the team that could compete with JDG. So now that T1 3-0'd them, say what you will about how LNG showed up on that day, what should we now expect? And like considering the fact that Faker specifically has never ever lost a BO5 against an LPL team in his long and storied career, I think that there is a lot to, to say about what you should expect coming into this series. It should be a banger, regardless of score, regardless of how the games go, this will be a banger. I think we can say that much for sure. So in terms of predictions, if I think rationally, I would predict that it's JDG 3-2. A lot of factors come into play with this. JDG are the team that have been dominant all year round and seem to be infallible in a lot of ways. But KT showed us that they can bleed, and T1 showed us that they're better than the rest of the LPL. So I'm going to say that if I went with my gut last week to say that T1 would win that series, my hopium is running extremely high right now, And it will be a 3-2 banger, but T1 will be the one to take it this time. And I am so, so hyped to see what happens. Okay, well, I mean, like like I said, uh, I can't deny it, right? If you can convince me the 
that this series can go a lot of different ways with how strong T1 looked. Um, I, I'm not ready to put all of my eggs into the T1 basket yet, and you know, obviously, still, you know, saying it's going to be a three-two. There's obviously the um, the understanding that JDG is still the tournament favorites, that they are going to be a tough team to beat, um, but T1 is obviously riding. Uh, a, a lot of momentum and then of course again as i've said numerous times already now being in korea faker could be winning his first ever worlds in korea there is a lot of narrative uh plot armor backing t1 here um and them going up against the favorites not even quite in the finals uh could definitely feed into uh the, the, this kind of plot armor that t1 might be building up here going into this weekend of the semifinals. all right and with all that being said once again, I want to thank everybody that has made it to the end of the episode. So happy to see that we've got support out there as we take on more and more of this League of Legends gaming out there. I'm going to direct you to much of the same things I've been doing all year round. Uh, make sure to check us out here on Spotify. Drop us a follow. Make sure you stay on top of it so the next time an episode comes out, you're able to get on that. Watch it before the next round of Worlds happens. And make sure as well to go to our Twitter account. That's at NoRival underscore esports, NRE for short. Check us out there. Give us a follow. We post tons of great content on there as well. And make sure, of course, to come in next week as we dissect what these semifinals end up playing out as and then do a preview for that all-important grand final at the end. Stay tuned.